Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello. It is February. It's telling everybody everything. I'm here with Fena. She's always with me. And on a level, she does not like the podcast. She's a calm and quiet baby, but you might hear from her now. Because what I'm doing isn't wholly dedicated to entertaining her. And none of my kids like anything that isn't wholly dedicated to entertaining them. I'm dedicated to entertaining you, which is why I accepted a wonderful offer to perform on ITV's hit show, The Masked Singer. Most of you will know that I started in musical theater. I love singing and dancing, always the two together, never just one. That's why my character was always up and on the move, even though I was eight months pregnant with Fen. I was unmasked last Saturday night as the pigeon. And very few people guessed me, actually. I knew I would never win a singing competition, so I decided to lean into the guessing game. I did a little Essex accent like this, vibes. I really feel like I've been, what, what would I say? Things like, uh, I'll never ruffle any feathers. It all had to be like pigeon puns. More on that later, but first, someone close to us, Fena, I won't say who, because sometimes what I do reveal on this podcast gets picked up by the papers. If this person saw this in the newspaper or on Mum's Net or anywhere else publicized, I think it would break their heart. I don't want to call anyone out. This person is someone I love a lot because they make me chicken soup once in a while. I think they're a good person. I think they meant no harm. But someone very close to us in our lives, specifically in Fred's life, cut his hair without asking us permission first. Whoa, what? I know a lot of you might be gardening, driving, and you're saying, let me pull over. Who the fuck cut your child's hair without asking you? I can't say. Uh, But I will tell you that Bobby fell to the ground. I mean, he was quietly floored. He's like, no, what just happened? Because we had just taken Fred for a haircut. And if you've seen The Duchess, you might know the scene where uh, Catherine's daughter sits in that race car in a kid's specialized hair salon to get her hair cut. And she's kind of torn between, you know, the shame of playing with the wheel and still being a kid or still being a cool girl. You know, she's at that fork in the road emotionally. We took Fred to a salon like that because he doesn't like getting his hair cut. So we took him, he sat in the police car, he had a wonderful time. He cried a bit, but I mean, ultimately we were able to get his hair. 
cut by this expert. I mean, I'll tell you where it was. It's called Cool Cuts. Is that what it is? Okay, it's called Cool Cuts for Kids in Crouch End. That's North London where I used to live. We took Fred all the way back there because this woman is so amazing who I think owns it. She cut Violet's hair way back in the day. She cut Fred's. She did a great job. And he is a tough customer. He doesn't want to sit there and have his hair cut. So he sat in a little police car. It was just the best. And then we came home with this uh, sort of mullet. Bobby likes a mullet, short on the sides, long on the back. And uh, Fred's person that day, who minded him while we went out to get Violet a bank account, decided that Fred should not have a mullet and she cut the back of it without asking us. We came home and she's like, oh, they left too much at the back. Don't worry, I've cut it off. And Bobby was like, oh, because it did look so cute on Fred. And the bigger picture is, I mean, of course we let it slide. We said nothing. We're basically British now. But you don't cut a child's hair without asking that child's parents, I feel like. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have had the balls. But then, but then... Ellie Taylor, my good friend, a comedian, she was in Australia and happened to post on the same day that she noticed a bunch of toddlers had unironic mullets and how disgusted she was by this. And then I thought to myself, well, hang on. I thought Fred's mullet was cute. I loved it. Little blonde mullet. It suits him. It suits his personality. Uh, But then I don't want him jumping on an Australian fashion trend. No offense to any Australians listening, but maybe it's for the best. I was floored, though. I was floored at the sheer audacity of someone else cutting his hair. But like I said, this person makes me chicken soup. So eh, it's only hair. Hair will grow back. We made absolutely no big deal of it whatsoever. It was a non-issue. But what do you think? What would you do if someone close to you cut your child's hair without asking? I know some people who would literally flip their switch. And this person, you know, hopefully we get some respect for being chill chill Canadians. Or maybe we've set a very dangerous precedent. I don't know. I don't know. It's very difficult to have anyone else looking after your kids, but it has to be done. And I personally have struggled with it, but I'm leaning into it a bit more now because I'm old. And I don't mean this in a, you know, like I'm complaining. I like getting older. I'm not worried that Bobby is going to leave me for someone younger because at the end of the day, they might have long thin legs and you know I see these girls all tanned with their little crop tops and I think they're lovely but I know that I'm a fucking blast I'm never ever upset I'm always in the right mood and I'm rich so he's not going anywhere Uh, but our lives are very different now I drink coffee at night you know you're old when you can drink coffee at night and still have no trouble sleeping you know you're old when your alcohol consumption is swapped to the day I drink wine in the day, never in the evening. In the evening, I have coffee just to make it to bedtime, and then I fall asleep. That's me. Also, my joints are the loudest noise that I make. It used to be like, keep the music down. You don't want to wake the kids. I woke Fana up the other day just rolling over in bed. The crackling sound of my hip actually was loud enough to wake her from a deep sleep. That's what I mean by old. If that's not got me feeling 40 enough, which I will be turning this year, I have been sent to a breast cancer clinic. I don't mean to minimize the seriousness of breast cancer. Uh, Obviously, you have to start having mammograms past a certain age. At my age, you can't even get a mammogram privately. Even if you wanted one, they say, no, you're too young. They'll do a breast ultrasound for you, which 
is, I mean, I think even better at diagnostics than a mammogram. So I don't really know where the rules come from, but look, this should not, in my opinion, have happened. And I will be so embarrassed if I actually do have breast and cancer, then I'm just going to look so stupid. But I have mastitis. I'm breastfeeding Fena. It's all going well. All of a sudden, last Thursday, I feel super cold. I say to everyone in the house, I'm freezing, I'm freezing. I know the house isn't cold, but I can't regulate my body temperature. I have multiple sweaters on. Bobby's sweater, my sweater. I've got a hoodie on that's scaring the kids. I just can't get warm. And then I get too warm. I'm sweating. I didn't notice anything weird with my boobs, but I just didn't feel well. So that night I was cold, freezing all night long. I was woken up by feeling cold. In the morning, my chills were so bad, and I also had a 101 degree fever. I was like, all right, I have to take some medicine for this. I know the symptoms of mastitis are chills and fever, but it's also, you know, a big mass in your boob and pain and swelling. And I didn't feel like I had that. But then I noticed after I took some ibuprofen and paracetamol, I double dosed it. I noticed a difference and I had to work Friday night. You guys know I will drag myself bleeding down the motorway to get to work. So I wasn't going to cancel. I brought Fena to Telford with me for a gig. It was this amazing event. I have to say, if anyone listening was at this event, the girls especially looked glamorous, on point. As I said, I think anyone in the room could have fucked Pete Davidson that night. It was an awesome event. Really good people, really generous audience considering uh, I give my performance, I don't know, like maybe a B minus. I hadn't done stand up in a long time. I think the last time was uh, mid-November at an event before Fena was born. And I just felt a little bit rusty. Plus, I was very, very ill, but I had to be there. I had to be there and do this event, and they were just really generous with me. And normally, like maybe, I don't know, three years ago, five years ago, I would have come off and said to the organizer, oh, I hope I was good enough. I'm sorry. I didn't feel very well. But I've learned that everyone comes out to have a great time. If you just come off stage and go, that was great. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Then people walk away with positive memories of you. And this is the thing. At a a big event on a Friday night, most people are pissed. So pissed that they don't notice your mistakes. So, you know, privately between you and me, I think I fumbled the ball a few times. But what's important is that I went. I went with Fena and I took the babysitter, who is an angel for completing that six-hour car journey round trip with me. I got to sleep in the car, and then by the time I got home, I felt a little bit better. I breastfeed Fena always, but I also pump. Ladies, if you think your breastfeeding is going smooth sailing, just never forget that you could be no mastitis one day, mastitis the next day, no matter how far along in your breastfeeding journey you are. Make sure that you squeeze milk out in the shower. Make sure that after a feed, you pump the rest of the milk out of your breast. Make sure that you always wash your hands before touching your breasts, which I did. I used to think you could only get mastitis from like touching something dirty and then touching your nipple, but you can get it from a clogged milk duct. So if if you don't know about breasts or milk ducts, which, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that a lot of listeners don't understand the female anatomy. A lot of doctors don't understand the female anatomy. Um, your breast is kind of like an orange with segments you know, like orange peel slices inside. And think of each one of those has several milk ducts in it. And then there are tubes going down to your nipple. Your nipple isn't just like one hole in the middle where the milk spurts out. It's many holes. It's kind of like a sponge 
or like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking like a fly's eye. You know how flies, and you'll know this from watching The Simpsons, flies don't just have two eyes. They have like a bunch of eyes in one spot. It's fucking weird. I don't like it. Let's go with sponge. That's how the milk comes out of your nipple, and it's coming from all these milk ducts and all these tubes. One of them can get clogged either at the nipple, which happened to me with Fred, and I cleared that with a needle. That was fine. That was a milk blub or a milk blister. Or it can happen further up in your duct and the milk gets trapped there. And then if you can get it out, if you're lucky enough to squeeze and push it out, either during feeding or during pumping, it can come out like toothpaste, which is sick. But this milk didn't come out. And all of a sudden the next morning I noticed, oh, I do have a blockage in my left breast. I am producing way less milk than normal. The boob is like engorged and I found a hard lump, but it's kind of like deep inside. So it wasn't really showing. It was maybe a little bit red at this point. I squeezed it and squeezed it. I spoke on the phone with this incredible lactation consultant um, referred to me by Jimmy Carr. He calls it the tit witch. Um, They didn't just meet like out in the streets. You know, I think I think maybe people with kids just have these numbers on speed dial if uh, they've ever needed them and they recommend these people to each other. The tit witch is 10 out of 10. I used her a little bit with Fred, but her advice was not even able to unclog this milk duct. I tried everything she said, hot compress. I tried Epsom salts in my manual pump. I tried hot baths, hot showers. I tried taking aspirin. I tried pushing until it was really, really sore with the pump. This thing was not coming out. And if you leave it too long, it can get infected. And that's when it's mastitis. If you leave an infection, it can go septic. I hate antibiotics, but I don't mind them when you actually have an infection. That's the only time you need antibiotics when there's a bacteria. So I thought, fuck me, I'm going to have to actually go to my GP. I never visit the doctor. Never. I have private doctors that I'll go to for important things. But with the children being so little, I can't really be going into central London. I'm still working and doing stuff. So I thought, oh, I'm going to do the thing where you call your GP at 830 in the morning and you explain your situation and you see if you are prioritized for an appointment that day. Or maybe even I won't get an appointment. I'll just have a antibiotic prescription sent over the phone. I'll get Bobby to go down to our pharmacy and get it for me. I hate taking antibiotics, but for this I will. By the way, my flu and fever went away, so it wasn't like an active infection, but I was still worried about the clog, and I thought maybe my GP might have some different advice about getting this clog out. Trust me, I try every time I pump. Ugh. And so I ring at 8.30. They go, you're in a queue of 15. I, this is literally 8.31. You can't call before 8.30. That's the only window. 8.31, there are already 15 people in the queue for a GP appointment. Press one and your position in the queue will be saved and someone will call you back. Okay, I press one. An hour later, I get a call back. And there's a language barrier, but this is a very nice lady. And she goes, hey, what's going on? I'm paraphrasing. Tell me your symptoms. She tells me to just explain. I explain. And she is made of questions. The first question they ask you when they find out that you've recently given birth is, are you happy and safe at home? They worry that you might be in an abusive relationship. And that is so sad, but it's a reality here and all across the world that violent people prey on the vulnerable and you are no more vulnerable than when you've just had a baby. So if you have an abusive partner, 
he's going to be abusive after you've given birth. And that's so sick to me. And if there's stress in the house, well, there's going to be a lot more stress in the house with a new baby. And they want to check that you're safe. So I said, Jesus, I mean, what a fucking downer in the morning. Yes, I'm in a very happy relationship. She goes, who's at home with you? I'm like, now or generally? Generally. Oh, all right. Well, it's my husband, my teenage daughter, my 19-month-old son, and my baby daughter. Oh, okay. And I just, I just hate the data grab of the NHS. And I know they ask these questions supposedly for altruistic reasons. They have to check that everyone's okay, but I just don't like telling them about myself. It's like, fuck off. All you need to know, I pay my taxes and give me the medicine. (laughs) Not that you're not entitled to NHS care if you don't pay taxes, by the way. But I just hate it. I hate answering any personal questions to these people. Then she's asking me this about my boob, that about my boob, the other thing about my boob. And I'm like, let's just cut to the chase. I have mastitis. Can I please come in? But I'm polite. I'm patient for the 15 minutes of interrogation from this chick. She goes, all right, that's everything I need to know. I'm going to call you back after I talk to my boss and see if you need an appointment. All right. She calls me right back. Yes, you can have an appointment. 3.30, please come see the GP. Fine. I get on the bus at 3.30 with Fena in the carrier, and there's a group of lads, youths, boys, being like, oh, man, do you think that that, that is a, yeah, that's that girl from the thing. And then someone else goes, no, no, man, bro, it's not her because she's taking the bus, innit? If it was her, she wouldn't be taking the bus. Listen, lads, I didn't get rich by being stupid. Take the bus. Public transport is great, especially as I'm just going down the road. Parking is a nightmare. You don't need to be driving your Land Rover all around town. Take the bus. Lots of famous people take the bus. Is that Catherine Ryan? No. They didn't know my name. They just knew me as her. They probably thought I was Ashling or something. So I get to the doctor. It's a sad place. It looks like one of those old war movies, like rationing offices. There's a queue. There's a girl at the front of the queue saying she needs urgent care. And can she please be seen by this GP? The lady at the desk is very kindly telling her, oh, well, you know, we have a lot of patients and I don't know if we can add you to our list of patients. I'm going to have to talk to admin. There's nothing I can do. It's all just a real sad scene, you know, and I never blame NHS workers. They are the best. It's just the system is absolutely fucked. And then you log in via a screen. There's a big monitor that goes, Catherine Ryan, roommate. And I hate when they use my full name because someone in there might know me, especially as I've recently been unmasked as the pigeon on the biggest Saturday night show. Yes, it won in the ratings again. No one, no one noticed. (laughs) If they had, I was prepared to be like, guys, I took the bus here. So roommate happens to be up a bunch of stairs and international listeners will not believe that UK GP surgeries and by surgeries, I just mean doctor's office, but for some reason they call it a surgery. No surgery happens at this place. Um, They're in like old residential houses. I really think that my doctor's office is in what used to be like someone's family home in the 40s. So I go up these rickety stairs and all the way up, I'm thinking, What if I brought the buggy? What if I was a wheelchair user? Like, this is a place for the sick and infirmed. Like, what if I was on crutches for something? What if I felt really, really ill and I couldn't make it up these winding stairs? It just feels like a bad layout. I get up there and the woman examines me. She was a really nice doctor. Um, She said, I don't really feel a lump. Listen, there's a lump. Bobby felt it, but it's she was feeling my breast kind of in a doctor's way. She had gloves on and she was using the pads of her fingers just to gently 
alternate hands pushing on it, kind of like a cat looking for a place to sleep. You know what I mean? She was doing that, but without claws. And I said, no, you need to get your hands in, like dig in your fingers and pick it up. You can feel there's this like disc shaped milk duct that is clogged. And I'm worried that it's going to be infected. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe I do feel that. Well, it's a little bit red, but it's not that red. It's a little bit hot, but it's not that hot. You could take a course of antibiotics. And I said, well, wait a minute. You don't sound very confident that I should take a round of antibiotics. And I don't want to take any antibiotics ever unless I have to. And she goes, yeah, I don't know. Like, you could, but... uh." Maybe I should just write you the prescription. You can keep them in the cupboard in case this gets worse. So I'm saying, oh, well, right away I know I'm not going to take them now. If it's a maybe, it's a no. I will not be taking these antibiotics. Can you offer me any advice to get this clog out? She goes, no, no. Sounds like you're doing everything you can do. I am, however, going to refer you to the breast cancer clinic, which is just called the breast clinic, but we all know what that means. And I said, why? Do you think I have breast cancer? I didn't have a lump on Wednesday. Then I started to feel sick and feverish on Thursday. Then I noticed a lump on Saturday. Furthermore, I have had a private breast ultrasound in April, which is only like 10 months ago. I don't think I have breast cancer. She goes, well, do you have a family history of breast cancer? I said, of course I do. Everyone has a family history of breast cancer. That's why cancer sucks so much. She goes, well, I'm going to send you to the breast clinic. I just think, you know, when there's a lump, that's what we can do. And again, I don't fault this woman. She was following a procedure. She was doing her job. The worst thing would be if you had breast cancer and you weren't referred to the breast clinic, right? It's better safe than sorry. I do appreciate her making the referral for February 13th, which is two weeks away. And again, two weeks on the NHS is not a long waiting time. But I just went, you know, I'm not going to take that spot because Someone who actually probably does have breast cancer needs that spot. And I can go and get a private breast ultrasound literally tomorrow privately. I'm going to just go do that. She was like, are you sure I can make the referral? I said, no, don't make a referral for me. Thanks for your no help. See you later. Obviously, I'm not rude to these people's faces. But it just made my day so much worse because breastfeeding means everything to me. And I use it like a metaphor for life. And when it gets hard, I sink my teeth in and I absolutely refuse to give up. Right now, my left breast is hardly producing any milk on the pump, but that just makes me want to pump harder and more. And I am committed to solving this problem. I feed mostly on my right now. Like I'll give, I'll put her on my left, but I mean, we both know it's pointless at this stage. Um, I'm getting like half an ounce out of my, oh, this is the other thing. I said, I'm getting five ounces when I pump out of my right breast and I'm getting half an ounce when I pump out of my left. She goes, oh, so five times less? I said, no, medical school, 10 times less, said the waitress. Like, what the fuck? Now you know why I don't, I just hate the system. I hate it. And I know it's going to save my life one day and then I'll eat my words. And I like these people and I know that they're smart, but they are overworked and they don't have the resources that they need. And they're, they think that half an ounce is five times less than five ounces. I mean, I just can't. So my day's worse now because I went in with a problem that I want to solve, and that is a clogged milk duct. My lactation consultant knows that what it, that's what it is. I know that's what that is. There's no real cure from that. Just a bunch of home things. Don't bother emailing me the things. I've tried all the things. I have a professional on the case. 
Sometimes you're just unlucky. Sometimes something works for one person and not another person. I'm going to keep trying. But that's what this is. And I walked out of there a little bit tearful, thinking, oh, fuck. Am I going to die and leave Bobby to look after these three kids? And this is what makes people like not want to go to the doctor. I think. I mean, I don't know. And I have an MRI scheduled for Thursday anyway, because I have this private system. It's called Echelon. It's actually amazing. It was recommended to me by a friend. You pay privately to have all these tests done every like, I don't know, three to five years or so. They look out for your heart and they do blood tests and they do full body scan just to catch something that you might have as you get older. And I think this service is for mostly male CEOs who've taken cocaine in their lives. And I think usually they catch heart problems and stuff. But um, I saw in their advertising that they caught a very, very, very early brain tumor before this guy had any symptoms. They caught it on the MRI. And so I did half of my treatments and scans in April. But then I realized I was pregnant with Fena and I couldn't do the MRI. So that's been rescheduled to actually Thursday. And I called this lovely woman, Hannah, up, who's my like echelon liaison. And I said, Hannah, can you add a breast ultrasound to that? And she said, yeah. I know I just had one in April, but I got the GP sending me to a fucking breast cancer clinic. So please, I need to just double check. I went home and I calmed myself down. I mean, I was always pretty calm. But, you know, it's not great to be referred to the breast clinic. It's not great. It's both the best thing that can happen for you and also the worst. So, like, yeah, that was yesterday. But enough about my breasts, especially if you're here to hear about the mass Singer and you're going, why am I learning that a boob is like an orange? I'm sorry. I just have to tell everybody everything and talk about my week. The Masked Singer is a show, um, the show on ITV Saturday nights, hosted by Joel Domit, a comedian, a good friend of mine. The, the panel, they're not judges, they're just, you know, guessers. The celebrity panel, Mo Gilligan, Davina McCall, Rita Ora, and my great friend, Jonathan Ross. I'm a fan of the show. It's something that you can watch with the whole family. I love that toddlers even get involved in dance. Fred dances when the characters are on stage. And um, I like, <laughs> I always think it's funny when older kids have ledgers and they're writing down the clues and they're taking the guessing game so seriously and they're totally invested. And then the show goes, oh, take it off, take it off. It turns out rubbish is this snooker player. And the kids are like, huh? Has a child ever, ever known a celebrity to be unmasked on The Masked Singer? I doubt it, but does it stop them watching? No, it doesn't. I feel like they should have a kid's masked singer. Get some YouTubers in there. Get, you know, Mr. Uh, Tumble. Just blippy. Things they know. Unmask Peppa Pig, you know. Peppa Pig in a different costume. In the American version, Kermit the Frog was in one of the costumes, and that was cool. Kids know who Kermit the Frog is. But kids do not know who Lulu is. <clears throat> I was very honored to be asked to go on The Masked Singer. In fact, I wondered why it had taken so long. I'm a fan of music. I've been singing and dancing my whole life. And up until The Masked Singer, I thought I was good at it. But it turns out that in a massive, heavy pigeon costume, while eight months pregnant, moving all around, no, I'm not a good singer. Because the panel kept saying, that I was a bad singer. <laughs> um, oh, and I was doing an accent as well. 
Because when I'm out in the world, no one really recognizes me that often until I speak. And then they know it's me. So I thought, all right, if I'm doing this voice, then even though they sort of blur your talking, I feel like my singing voice sounds like my speaking voice and you'd be able to guess me right away. I am very competitive. I wanted to play the game. And so I thought I'll do an Essex accent. I don't do it perfectly, but it's the accent that I come closest to pulling off in the UK. And, you know, even if it sounds like someone doing a fake accent, they might think it's a Scottish person or some type of northerner doing an Essex accent, right? So I could get away with it. I, uh, the first meeting that you have when you go on The Masked Singer is just with the production. They want to talk to you, get your vibe. Then they show you a few of the costumes that they're working on. They have an incredible team called Plunge who do these costumes. They're just the most beautiful costumes. And the creative that goes into The Masked Singer is second to none. The sets, the dancing, the costumes. It's no wonder that it's the number one show. They showed me a few costumes that they had on the go. Some of the costumes had faces and some didn't. And I never want to be something without a face. I just don't feel like I connect as a viewer as much to the ones without a face. They showed me some sexy costumes. They showed me pigeon. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's the one. I want to be an old bird, not too much glamour, certainly no like little waste because I'll be pregnant. At that time, I think I was six months pregnant when they started making the costume and I didn't know how big I would be by eight months pregnant. And I just thought, yeah, give me this old Nana pigeon. I love Nanas. I feel like they can get away with being a little bit naughty because, you know, that's Nana. Oh, Nana says some racist stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Pigeon was not racist. But like Nana gets away with it because she lived through several wars, right? Nana Pigeon could have the Essex accent that I could do. She could also have a taste in music that doesn't match her age. I wanted to do hip hop, like early 2000s, late 90s hip hop songs that I grew up loving and some pop as well. So then you give them a list of songs that you like, a big, big, big list of songs that you like because some of those songs aren't going to suit your voice. Some of those songs won't be cleared by the BBC for the show. Um, some of the songs just won't be appropriate for you know the format. So they come back with a list of songs of mine that were good and songs of mine that uh, that were cleared, but also some new songs that they said, oh, well, if you like that song, you might like this song. And that's how we developed my list. Oh, there were other songs on my list that I didn't get to do, like Uptown Girl. I thought Pigeon singing Uptown Girl would be really cool. I also wanted to do Sean Kingston, uh, Your Way to Beautiful Girl, that song. That's why we would never work. I just thought it it would be great if Nana Pigeon had songs that were a complete juxtaposition to who she was. So we started practice. We were doing Zoom singing lessons. I felt like I was a good singer during those. But you're sat in your house singing to a computer. You're not moving all around the stage. And I said to Bobby, I'm going to be dancing all around. He said, no, Catherine, when we watch the show, a lot of the singers just stand still. I said, right, but I am coming to a checkers game playing chess. Every time, I'm giving it full balls to the walls. And he said, well, I don't think you should do that because it's not the masked dancer, right? It's just singing. They'll have a big advantage over you if they are like just in one spot singing as best that they can. Why do you have to be like flailing all around with an accent? Your singing is going to be really bad. And boy, was he right. My singing, you know, 
I ran out of breath every time. I was hot. I was winded. I had Fenna's foot in my lung. Singing and dancing, eight months pregnant in a costume, proved to be a huge challenge. And I feel like this is what has been both a real benefit and hindrance in my life is I always think everything's going to be easy. (laughs) I don't look at anything and go, oh, no, I can't do that. I'll just take it down a notch ever. I go, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. I mean, never ask me if I can fly a helicopter because that'll be our last day on earth. Oh, Fen. Recording a podcast every week holding a baby will be easy. I wonder if I put her down if she'd stay asleep. I mean, why would I say that out loud? She won't. I'll keep holding you then. But we're getting sweaty, Fen. You and I together. Look at your hair. It's wet. We're too hot. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my first song, No Scrubs by TLC. I was dancing, I was winded, and I really felt like my singing voice sounded like my speaking voice and people were going to guess me, especially when I stood next to Joel Domit. He knows me so well, I felt like he'll just know by like my aura or how I smell or something. He'll guess. Jonathan will surely guess. I have sung on Mo Gilligan's show a thousand times. Surely he'll guess. But I was virtually unguessable. We had many wrong guesses online, other series of The Masked Singer, People tweet me asking me if I'm on it. I forget who they thought I was, but, you know, every year people guess that I'm on the show. But this year I actually had the least amount of guesses. People were saying, is it Gemma Collins? Is it Stacey Solomon? Is it Linda Robson? No, 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 girl. It was me. Next week I'm through. And it was such a blessing to get through. I was like, yes, I get to sing and dance another day. And it's very complicated to get to the studio, by the way. There aren't that many days in the studio. Obviously. Y'all get paid the same, whether you go out early or you go out late, but I'm very competitive and I wanted a chance to sing all of my songs and to interact with the panel and to be funny with them because that is my purpose on this earth. It's to make people laugh. And it was a real challenge like, all right, how do you make people laugh without being able to talk and in a giant costume, right? You have to do like puppetry for kids almost. So I decided to fight Mo one time. Joel held me back from doing that. I decided to be kind of a sassy pigeon, an angry pigeon. I decided that I had a sexual crush on Joel at one point. And then I felt badly about it. I had pigeon kind of look back, lean back and check out his ass. And then when he noticed, like snap forward and scold myself. And then I thought, is that really appropriate for a Nana to be looking at Joel Domit's butt? But like, this is why old silent films and carry on films were sexist because There's not a lot of physical comedy you can do outside of checking out someone's butt. I was just trying to be funny all the time. Bring it as much as I could. Because like I said, I was never going to win the singing competition. So I was expecting to coast by on personality, (laughs) which it turns out you can do in life up until episode five, where I was eliminated after singing Cheryl Cole's Fight for This Love. I committed to full video choreography. If you haven't seen the clip, you can go watch it. I messed up the choreography a couple times and that actually broke my heart because I'd studied the video so hard. But, you know, I just got a little bit of stage fright, I guess, for the first time ever. I had to actually sing. And now a lot of my friends have said, oh, do they pre-record you and then it's just a stand-in in the costume? No, no, no. There's no auto cue. You don't have the words written for you inside the costume. You just have to know the song and you have a little Britney Spears style microphone inside your hat and you have to just sing it in that costume. Well, that wasn't going to stop me dancing, especially not to fight for this love. 
So I poured my heart and soul and I tried as hard as I could to impress the judges, but ultimately I was let go. And that's all right because it was a face off between me and Jacket Potato, who I think is Richie Sambora. I don't have any inside knowledge. Joel will not budge. He takes his NDA very seriously. Any other year, and including this year, he won't tell me anyone on the show. And during the filming, he doesn't know. He genuinely doesn't know. I don't know who any of the other masked uh, singers are. They really keep us sequestered. They keep you in the full gear, like the hoodie that says, don't talk to me, and the all black, no skin showing, gloves, balaclava, visor. You have to wear that from before you get in the car on the way to the studio. So my neighbors must have thought something was up when they saw me run down my driveway dressed in all black with a balaclava. I mean, who did they think that was? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, Jonathan never tells me anything. Like the, the judges, the, they're not judges. The panel and Joel only find out when the singer is unmasked. But this was recorded back in November. And so, I mean, they know by now. They know who everyone is, but they still won't tell me. My guesses are, I think that Phoenix is Ricky Wilson. Uh, because I feel like it sounds like his singing voice. When you're the lead singer of the Kaiser Chiefs, we hear your voice a lot. It's, you know, it's nothing that you can hide if you're, unless you're disguising your singing voice, which obviously he didn't want to. He wanted to sing beautifully, so he used his real voice, if it's him. And Richie Sambora, I only think that because I don't know a lot of rock stars, but I saw a few tweets guessing it was him, and then I listened to his voice because he had a solo career for a while, and yeah, I do think it is him. So you have to let Catherine Ryan go home over Richie Sambora. That makes sense. I don't mind being sent packing for a, a bona fide rock star. So that was my experience on The Masked Singer. I loved doing it. I have so much respect for the creative team and the production. They do such a great job. They deserve to be number one every Saturday. If you're not watching it with the family, come on. It's wholesome entertainment. And it's a fun guessing game. Who else is behind the mask? I don't know. For a while, I thought that knitting might be actual Cheryl Cole, and I was butchering her song right in front of her. That would have been a mess. But now I think it's not. I don't know. But I would love to see her on it one day. I would love, I would love to see more comedians. That's who I get excited about. When it's comedians, obviously, that's my wheelhouse. And I think Otter might be a comedian because she's funny. And the only competition outside of, obviously, of the competition with myself was Otter because I was like, ah, I can't be like the first comedian to go, but I was, but I was, and I have no inside knowledge because no one will give me any. So they really take the secrecy to the next level. All of that is real. All of the singing is real. And my advice to you would be, if you're going to go on the show and you care about how your singing voice comes out, don't be eight months pregnant and don't do the full video choreography. But I mean, you know what? Do it. Someone on Twitter said that was queen shit. Queen shit. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think it's opened any doors for me to be on the West End. I just hope it hasn't closed any doors to, for me to be on the West End. Because normally I am a very good singer, I promise. And I want another chance. I hope it's not the last time that I sing and dance. So thank you for watching it. Thank you to The Masked Singer for letting me be on. Some words from our sponsors. Now, when we come back, I will see what's in the emails, and I haven't looked at them for two weeks, so your letters had better be spicy. If you ever want to write me an email, the address is tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com.
Catherine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And breakup etiquette, how long do I store his stuff? Catherine, I broke up with my boyfriend of five years in June. This was due to a few fundamental differences. He was way too conservative in his political views and too traditional in his family views for me to think we could make it work. He is overall a nice guy, but is definitely a product of a very privileged and old school upbringing in South Africa. He doesn't care to educate himself out of that mindset. He still has so many of his belongings at my apartment. A snowboard, a skateboard, bicycle, boxes of clothes. I live in a 50-meter square apartment with little storage space. And seeing that we broke up seven months ago now, you can perhaps understand why I'd want him to come get his shit ASAP. The boat he's working on is still in North Europe, but is scheduled to come to Barcelona, where I am, in the next two months. At the moment, I've told him to come get his stuff before February 1st as I am moving apartments. But this, uh-oh. Well, it's February 1st today, so I can't give you any advice. Let's see what you've done as I'm moving apartments. But this is no longer the case. Have I, oh, I've decided to renew my lease for another year. Oh, phew. You had me absolutely panicked that we missed the window to give you advice. So should I be nice and tell him he can leave his stuff here for a few extra months until his boat arrives? Or should I stick to the February 1st deadline, which would potentially cost him hundreds of euros, but he is a super yacht captain on an insane salary and the hassle and stress of moving so much stuff across Europe. I want this guy out of my hair so I can keep moving on. Not to mention, I want the storage space in my tiny apartment back. Please help. Gal, you should have moved all of his stuff into a storage space and sent him all the information and the invoice a long time ago. You never should have stored this guy's stuff. It's impossible for you to move on and like cleanse your, what's it called, feng shui of your apartment with any of his shit in it, let alone like a snowboard and a skateboard. And who is this guy? He sounds like the fucking Tinder swindler. He's got all weather equipment in your house. You should never date anyone with a bicycle. And he is a rich super yacht captain? No, he can fuck off. February 1st is a very kind deadline. I know that he's busy and you want to be accommodating, but you have been accommodating enough. I broke up with someone and it took me a few tries of breaking up like it always does. And we were both going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and he had stuff in my flat. And I said, I'm having that all packed up while you're gone. I think he was going for longer than I was or something. 
And I said, I'm just not keeping it here. It's a good time to get it out. Neither of us have to face it. It's just, you know, I'll have someone come, pack up all your stuff, put it in storage for you while you're gone and you can get it from there. And that lit a candle under his ass to um, come move it himself. He was horrified. He's like, you will not touch my belongings. I hate the word belongings, by the way. It's such a stupid word if you think about it. Um, and he came with a friend and moved all his shit out before we even went to the festival. So win-win. You have to draw a hard line. Take that stuff today, February 1st. Call a storage company. A lot of them will pack it up for you and send him the bill. He's rich. Uh-oh. He's still using OnlyFans with girls he's slept with? So, Catherine, I had a dream one morning that my boyfriend was using OnlyFans. I woke up from this dream at 4 a.m. I went through his phone while he was sleeping, first of all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pause the question. You did not have a dream that he was on OnlyFans and you woke up from the dream at 4 a.m. and you sleep checked his phone. You just checked his phone while he was asleep. You had an inkling. You had an intuition that he was using OnlyFans, so you checked his phone. Don't blame sleep. Don't blame dreams on what is a legitimate concern that your gut told you while you were awake. All right. You checked his phone at 4 a.m. and he had been using OnlyFans. But here's the thing. He had purchased two pay-per-view videos of his ex. I kicked off and cried and he promised he wouldn't use OnlyFans anymore. I found myself compulsively looking through his phone again, although I didn't find OnlyFans. He now had used many vids, which is a similar platform. Is this technically not crossing my boundary of no OnlyFans? Again, he was watching videos of his ex. Months later, I have another dream. I look through his phone. He's not having dreams. It happens again. He had been viewing videos of not his ex, but a girl he had slept with in the past. I meant to move in with him in a week's time. Oh no. Is this cheating? I want to encourage ethical pornography, but how do I do this without wanting to die? <laughs> oh, Fana, I feel the same way. So you're lying to yourself because you don't want to encourage ethical porn. You want to want to encourage ethical porn, but you wouldn't be having this crisis if you actually didn't care. I don't know where women got it in their heads that like we have to let all this stuff go down because it's sex positive, you know, like, oh, well, he's going to look at porn. So I guess if he just does it in an ethical way and sex work is work and it's empowering and he, what he's really doing actually is empowering these women. It's like it's a, <clears throat> you can have positive attitudes towards women who want to do sex work and men who want to do sex work and that as a business and still have a boundary in your relationship they it's not okay with you and I don't think that makes you a hypocrite <clears throat> you can be like yeah good for you there will be lots of single people or people in more like dynamic relationships than mine who like to look at that and who like to participate in that good for you not for me. You can still do that. You're not okay with him being on OnlyFans. You're not okay with him looking at any pornography, really. And that's okay. You don't have to be ashamed of that. I wouldn't want Bobby looking at pornography either. Like, honestly, if I saw him looking at it now, I think it would really creep me out. And he doesn't want to look at it. A lot of people might think I'm naive in saying that, but he really doesn't. Because, like, if you are 40, as we are, and your husband 
is looking at pornography. I mean, he's probably looking at teenage girls and that makes him a fucking pedo as far as I'm concerned. And if he's looking at his ex, that is a massive boundary violation. So I would just be very upfront. I think that too often we expect people to read our minds. I would say, I feel that when you look at your ex in a sex video, you are imagining what it was like to fuck her. And in using your imagination that way, <clears throat> I feel like you're cheating on me. It feels like a betrayal and there's something I really don't like about it because she's not some imaginary porn actress that you're never going to talk to in your life. She's someone whose parents you've met, presumably, or someone you could still reach out to in texts. And I don't like it. So number one, be honest with yourself. Did you have dreams that directed you to look in your boyfriend's phone or did you have a very reasonable intuition to look in his phone? And are you trying to encourage ethical porn or do you prefer a relationship where there is less porn or no porn? And the X thing is, yeah, completely fucked up. But I mean, there is a guy out there for you who doesn't look at any porn and you don't have to tolerate this. And I mean, I don't think you should move in with this guy at all. He might be a great boyfriend now. You don't really say how old you are, but like he's not the one because this would be a massive deal breaker for me. Oh, for Christ's sake. Ugh, teens groomed at work. I work in HR and I've seen a lot. Please do not use my name as I want to stay employed, but I want to share my insights as an HR manager um, to hopefully help your listeners protect themselves from sexual harassment. I have dealt with many sexual harassment cases over the years. Unfortunately, it seems to be as prevalent as ever. One group of women that are particularly at risk are the young ones in their teens, but not, but old enough. Okay. The young ones in their teens, old enough to work school leavers or students with part-time jobs. I've had a couple of recent cases where 17 or 18 year olds have been targeted by older married middle-aged men who have used their position as supervisors or managers to try to take advantage. On one occasion, a 17, 18 year old was being mentored during her induction by an older man who asked for her phone number so he could contact her if her shift changed or if he needed to send work documents via WhatsApp. She gave it to him. In no time, she was receiving messages from him that were not work-related, asking what she was up to, saying how pretty she looked, did she have a boyfriend, etc. She felt really uncomfortable and told her mom, who went into work, and the creepy guy was sacked. On another occasion, a 17, 18-year-old was given a lift home on a regular basis by her middle-aged married manager as her shift ended late. She lived on the way to his home. Soon enough, he suggested that she accompany him on a weekend break and she should tell her parents that it was a work thing, which wouldn't be a lie if she worked for him. She was uncomfortable with this. Again, told her mom who went into work, the creepy guy was sacked. Thankfully, these young women are smart enough to tell parents who sorted things out for them but there were lots of young women who probably don't and are too scared to tell anyone at work. My advice to friends and daughters is to tell their daughters that if anyone is making them feel uncomfortable at work, they should tell a parent or carer as they are hopefully old enough to have enough life experience to know the difference between the behavior of a friendly colleague and the behavior of a sexual predator. These men are usually in long-term relationships and have children. So just because he seems like a regular guy doesn't mean that he is. Young men can be targeted too, although in my experience it's rarer, but when it happens, the predators are usually men too. Given that young men can be targeted as well, I've told my teenage son to tell me if anything at work makes him feel uncomfortable and we can talk about it and decide what to do. 
I don't want to scare young people into thinking the workplace is full of sexual predators because it isn't, but there are enough of them that have kept me busy over the years. Young people need to know they have the right to feel safe and comfortable, and if they don't and they can't tell anyone at work, then they need to tell someone sensible at home. I hope that helps. I love the show. I love your email. What an important email. Do you know what? I don't think I've told this story before, or maybe I've probably told most stories. My memory betrays me, but I worked for a television show when I was a teenager in Canada, and I got paid nothing. Do you believe that? I got paid actually nothing to host a show 11 a.m. every Saturday morning on a national channel. Right. I saw Pamela Anderson on a red carpet just today. There's a TikTok where she's with her now adult son. And he's talking about her business and how he wants to protect her. And and he's looking after her contracts from now on. But he said to her, he said to the red carpet interviewer right next to his mother, he said, do you know that my mother gets $4,000 a year in residuals from Baywatch? Does that make any sense? Do you know that Amazon just paid millions for the box sets to Baywatch and my mother received not $1? And Pamela Anderson is like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. I'd be happy if I lived in a box or lived in a shoe or lived in a mansion or a castle. And she's very positive about the whole thing. But he's like, people took advantage of my mother when she was young in business. And I will never let that happen again. But anyway, I got paid nothing. But I was presenting this show and it was really fun. And I was only a teenager. And, I, you know, I was living in Toronto for the first time, going to university, working at Hooters and trying to get into like broadcasting. I just thought it was fun. So I was very grateful for the experience. But we filmed one of the episodes abroad in America. I was 19 years old in university. I just got my dog, Biggie. He was literally a three week old puppy. And I didn't have the money to not be at work that week at my waitressing job at Hooters. But this was a huge opportunity. And the producer said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up, a waitress or do you want to work in television? You're stupid if you don't go. Like, this is your show. And it was such last minute notice, too. I was like, um, uh, okay. And I felt very pressured to even go. I brought my puppy with me because... I genuinely had just brought him home. So that was stressful. I couldn't leave him. And I decided, yeah, all right, I have to go. And I was going, uh, my ticket was to travel with this cameraman who'd be going with me. And then we'd be meeting uh, some other people once we landed, the people who paid for the show or sponsored the show or whatever. We weren't traveling with them for some reason. And the cameraman was a nice guy, but like he was an older man. He was like in his 40s. We got to the airport And in the line, uh, immigration asked me, why are you going to America? And I said, we're going to film an episode of our show. Well, that's illegal. That's work in America. I didn't have a visa to work in America. So I got pulled into the back room with this guy. This guy was like, why did you say that? You're just supposed to say that we're a couple on holiday. I was like, what? Like, I didn't know about any of this stuff. I just always told the truth. He said, no, when the guy comes in the room, you have to say we're a couple on holiday and that we're going to take pictures, but like we're not filming a show there. I was like, Jesus Christ. So I'm 19 now having to lie to immigration. So I'm crying just from the sheer pressure of it all. The guy comes in the back room and the cameraman, the 40 year old cameraman sat with me in the room, was like touching my leg and like sort of picking at the rips in my jeans to make it look like we're a couple. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it's so that we are a believable couple. I'm like, who the fuck do you think you are? No one's going to believe that we're together. You should have seen me when I was 19. So I'm crying. 
the guy's like, oh, why did you say you were working? I was like, well, we have a TV show in Canada, but I don't get paid for it. So it's not work, which was, again, true. I said, and we thought maybe we'd take some pictures of the beach. This guy had his camera equipment, by the way. Yeah, we'd take some pictures of the beach and stuff. And and then, you know, maybe we could use that for inspiration for our show. But no, we're not recording our show. We're not. Anyway, we convinced him that we were a couple, that we weren't recording a show. And that made me feel awful. Um, but we went over there and we did the show and um, we we recorded like one day of something. And then in the evening, we went to check into the hotel or maybe it was the second evening. But in any case, at some point, they put us in a hotel room together. And I had like a few days in a hotel room alone and then one day definitely together. And I said to this woman who we met when we landed, who was organizing the show, I said, I'm not staying in a hotel room with him. And she was like, oh, no, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I said to him, I can't stay in a hotel room with you because my parents would be really upset. And he said, well, why don't you just not tell your parents? And I I said, well, I tell my parents everything. But the truth was I was using my parents as a shield to be like, I would be fucking upset if I stayed in a hotel room with you. Like I felt really uncomfortable. I don't want to stay in a hotel room with you. And so the woman eventually was like, "Okay, well, she was there with her husband. She goes, we'll swap. I'll stay with you and he can stay with my husband. But then I felt really badly because now I'm splitting up a woman and her husband from staying in a nice hotel room together. And she has to sleep with me in a shit hotel room. Like you feel like a problem when you stand up for yourself. But I was lucky that I was the kind of 19 year old who wasn't going to just be like forced to stay in a fucking hotel room with a 40 year old man I hardly knew. Like Uh, my career could have suffered from that. Like they could have said, oh, Catherine's being really difficult. Don't book her for the free job next time. So just to clarify, was I like kind of an accessory to a show being filmed abroad without permission? Yes. But was I working? No, because I didn't get paid and I was nearly sexually assaulted. Maybe. So anyway, thanks for your email. This next letter is a (laughs) follow-up. Last week I talked about secret babies in my family, finding them through these genetic and ancestry websites. Catherine, I found out that I am a secret baby after using Ancestry.com. My brother and I had both paid for Ancestry DNA tests over the last five years, mainly to find out about our ethnic heritage. A random cousin contacted me as we'd matched as first cousins, but shared no other matches within our family trees. It started out as a fun mystery, and we assumed perhaps one of our parents was a secret baby. But then, during lockdown, my dad became quite interested in his family tree. Uh, So my mom, my stepmom, bought him an ancestry DNA test. The real surprise came when my dad's results came back, and we learned that we shared zero DNA with my brother and I. Oh, neither of you. Oh, shit. It turns out my mom had an affair and, I, and managed to conceive not one but two babies with her side piece and keep it a secret for 33 years. So my biological dad, or sperm donor as I prefer to call him, has no idea we are his children and we have no intention of contacting him. I did discover by creeping around the internet that he had two daughters with his wife, the eldest of whom was born just a week after me. So technically, the firstborn of his biological legacy is me. I can't throw family parties for my daughter's birthdays anymore because understandably my dad and stepmom now despise my biological mom, my mom. What a mindfuck. I wish I'd never done the ancestry DNA test in the first place and live the rest of my life in ignorant bliss. Holy shit. 
These websites are fun and they can tell you health traits and they can tell you things about your ethnicity, sure, but they should definitely, if they don't already, come with a warning that you might find out, you know, one of your parents cheated or people will come into your life because your granddad cheated or, you know, people are out there with their wandering dicks and just be careful because information sometimes comes with like bad surprises or good surprises. But I mean, you have to have a thick skin before you get one of these tests. Neither of my parents are on it, but I'm sure that I'm their biological child. Unfortunately, I have both of some of their best and worst qualities. Um, all my life growing up, people said I looked like my dad and it cut me so deep. I'd be like, why? I thought it meant I looked like a 40-year-old Irishman. And I kind of do. And then every time I'm around my mom, I start like mimicking her mannerisms. I sound and walk and talk and act more like my mom than ever. I think it was my mom on The Masked Singer, actually, not me. Oh, this is so cool. Catherine, how do we sell our Versace artifacts? Our elderly family friend used to work directly in the home of Gianni Versace. That's Donatello's brother. She has in her possession several Versace artifacts gifted to her by the family and Donatella herself. What on earth does she do with them? She doesn't really have proof they're Allegra's, but she can't just take them to the charity shop. Who's Allegra? Where do you even start with something like that? She thinks she has photos that prove they're Allegra's dresses, but even then, what does she do? It's not like Kim Kardashian would be able to wear that to the next Met. Even by her standards, a child dress would be too small. I guess the VNA might be interested, but she could really use the money, which is why I'm writing to you. I thought you or maybe your stylist, Jen, might know someone who could help. A contact who might be interested, even just in the history of the dresses and tins and any other crazy stuff she has in her house that we haven't yet uncovered. It's all so normal to her. She just casually dropped in conversation that they were Allegra's dresses. Also, she has a big suitcase filled with pristine 1920s clothes from her grandmother's honeymoon. My mom reckons those should go to a museum, but I don't think they're that interesting. They're just a random woman's clothes. But then I have very little respect for history. <laughs> My advice. Oh, any advice you have. What should we do with these Versace artifacts? Okay, I have exactly the right person. During the Duchess filming, we were randomly assigned a driver by a random car company, and he happened to be a man named Stuart, who is the greatest legend of all time, who remains our friend. Jen, Fiona, and I are still in a group chat with him, and he's so cool and such, um, what's it called? Film location support is his company. If you ever need an incredible fleet of drivers, he was just the best. We called him Stuber, and he picked us up, and he... He just changed our lives. He was like probably the best hands down thing about the Duchess. All right. His wife is literally a fashion historian. And I'm going to tell you what her Instagram is now. Oh, here we go. I just looked in my messages to get her Instagram. And I found out that she has written another book. She's launching it on the 23rd of February. And it is called The Dress Diary of Mrs. Ann Sykes, Secrets from a Victorian Woman's Wardrobe, written by Kate Strasden. So Kate Strasden is your man. She has a book coming out, but she's also got a really exciting Instagram that's all about fashion. But she is not a crook and not a thief. And she will not just take all this stuff off your elderly friend and leave her with nothing. She'll explain to her and to you, if you want, like exactly what you have. 
and then armed with knowledge you can get the best price for it or give it to the museum or whatever because Kate definitely knows her stuff oh my gosh excuse me Dr. Kate Strasden I didn't even know that she's a doctor fashion historian writer senior lecturer and sewing bee expert and her Instagram is literally Kate Strasden so that's k-a-t-e-s-t-r-a-s-d-i-n reach out to her tell her I sent you and then please write me back and let me know about all this Versace shit and who the hell is Allegra Ooh, she has my birthday, born June 30th, 1986. She's an Italian-American heiress and socialite. Since 2011, she's been a director of Gianni Versace SPA and has worked in New York City as a theatrical dresser. She's 36. I mean, was there an older... Oh, she's, she's Donatella Versace's daughter. Oh, I see. Fine, I should have known that. Well, let's end on Allegra Versace. Allegra, we might have some of your childhood dresses here. We're going to find out, courtesy of Dr. Kate Strasden, hopefully. God, you know what? This podcast is helping people. It's connecting people. Oh, Ben, Ben. Benna loves it. And um, I'm sorry that I didn't do one last week. It's genuinely impossible right now. I got sick again. I've always got this baby, but I'm, I'm trying my best to stay connected to you because you are the only adults I know. So please continue writing me letters anytime you want. It's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. If you haven't seen my special misses, my latest stand-up special is streaming on Netflix. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's streaming on Sky and Now TV. My earlier ones and The Duchess and The Fix are on Netflix. Romantic Getaway is also on Sky. And I have a brand new show coming out with Joe Wilkinson on Channel 4 soon this year. It's called Joe and Catherine's Bargain Holidays. Other than that, I'll just be here on the podcast, guys. Oh, and my book is called The Audacity. See ya. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.